Sometimes it don't some game. They both one and the same. Cupid's the one to play. I'm about to shed some light. Cause each and every night, you gotta do it right. I'm about to throw some game. They both one and the same. Cupid's the one to play. I'm about to shed some light. Cause each and every night, you gotta do it right. All right, welcome to another edition of One in a Million. I am your host, Roland Million. We have many things to talk about today. <clears throat> I'm just going to get right into it. One of the things I wanted to talk about is the differences I see with scoring today um, between the great scorers today and the, the differences that I see with some of the greatest scorers of all time in Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. Now, one major difference that I see between Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, it, and it might be the way that coaches coach, or it might just be the attitude that they have, is that whenever someone, they don't look for switches. They didn't look for switches. If someone switched out on them, they felt that anybody who was defending them was a mismatch. Okay? Now, and I see people talk about how MJ was playing people isolation on, on an island. And anybody who watches, actually watches the game and really studies the game and doesn't just look up the highlights. Because when you look up highlights, how can you actually tell what a team is doing the whole entire time if you only watch highlights? I could watch 10 minutes of a game and then go coach a game, but I wouldn't have a good scouting report if I only watched 10 minutes of a game and only saw the good highlights, okay? And that goes for even Michael Jordan fans. You have to watch everything of the game. You have to get an understanding um, of the idiosyncrasies that come with his offensive game. And the same goes for Kobe Bryant. I watch Kobe Bryant literally if someone is guarding him, he never calls for a pick and never calls for a switch unless he's trying to get somebody else involved. Other than that, he feels like everybody is a mismatch for him. And I think that's the difference that I see between scorers today. They're constantly waiting for someone to set a screen because everybody switches and they wait for that switch to come to get an easier opportunity to score. And you know, maybe that's me just being old school. Maybe that's me. Maybe that might sound like me being a little biased, but I definitely see the difference between Kobe and MJ is the fact that they felt that every matchup was a mismatch in advantage. They walked into their games like, oh, okay, so-and-so's guard me. Yeah, that's going to be a problem for him. And sometimes I feel like guys don't have that attitude where they feel like, you know, it's a mismatch from the jump. And I think that's the difference between them as scorers and other people as scorers. Next, we're going to talk about Clay Thompson's comments about Boston. Clay Thompson said, you know, real classy Boston. Um, he's like, oh, swearing in front of the kids and doing all that. And, and then Draymond Green's wife chimed in and she said, you know, Golden State fans would never do something like that. 
let me just preface this by saying when you say words like always and never, those are two of the most dangerous words in, in, in sports, always and never. Because the internet, the computer, people do not forget. So when you say always, all they have to do is just find one thing to put you on a block, okay? And here's one. Let's go back. First, let's talk about how I'm tired of hearing all these people say that Boston, oh, Boston is a bad place. Boston is this. Boston is that. As if other fans don't do the same thing when it comes to sports. This is the fan base. Okay, now, sure, I'm a Boston fan. I am from Boston. When we win, we do get a little ignorant. Like most, sometimes we're a little bit more annoying than others. And part of the reason why for that is because we lost so much during the late 80s and the 90s, and we lost so much, and especially the Red Sox, we lost so much that we didn't really know what it was like to win. Then we started winning as people were laughing at us. And, and it's funny that people seem to forget what they were doing when we were losing. They were laughing and they were being more obnoxious than anybody I've ever seen. And then we started winning again. And then we started becoming even more obnoxious. Okay. But at the same time, let's not make it seem like Boston fans are the only ones that do this. Case in point. Miami Heat fans were screaming out F Trey Young during the postseason. No one magnified that. Why? Because it wasn't Boston. Let's talk about how Danny Green's wife was threatened, or maybe Danny Green was threatened because he missed a jump shot by Lakers fans and a lot of LeBron fans. Let's go back. Kobe Bryant passes a pass to Steve Blake. Steve Blake makes a three. Everybody loves him. The next time he tries to shoot that shot, I think it was either the postseason, um, maybe even a regular season game, they started threatening Steve Blake's life. Oh, but it's different because, you know, it, it's not the fans of the opposing team. There are fans of the same team that do this. Now, let's move on to the, oh, Golden State Warriors fans would never do this. During the 2016 finals, I believe it was, a woman in the crowd from Golden State was wearing a Golden State jersey or a shirt, screamed to LeBron James, how does it feel to be a P-ass B? I'm not going to say the words. How does it feel to be that? LeBron stopped in his tracks and turned and looked at this woman, right? Hey, but no one talks about that, right? No one magnifies that. You don't magnify that. Fans in Golden State threw trash at Charles Barkley while he was at the podium because he criticized Golden State and said he didn't want them to win. But hey, let's not magnify that. Let's only magnify Boston. Now, I was born in this area. I know there's parts of racism that can't be ignored in this area. But much like other places, there are also a lot of parts of racism that can't be ignored. 
There are also fans in places that are absolutely, unbelievably disgusting. Let's take it back to 2002 for one of the last ones that I want to bring up. 2002. Boston fans screamed something out that they shouldn't have screamed out to Jason Kidd. But in retaliation, right, two people walked in with a sign just a year after Paul Pierce had been stabbed. And mind you, he played all 82 games the next series, the season, but almost lost his life. He could have lost his life. Two fans from the New Jersey Nets walked in during the playoffs and had a sign that said, will someone please stab Paul Pierce? And you guys want to magnify, you guys, girls, whoever, want to magnify what Boston fans do. Let's take that microscope and put it to every fan section. Let's take it to every arena. Magnify everybody and not just the people who you're playing against or not just the people who you don't really like. Magnify your fans. Let's see what your fans do as well. Up next is, you know, um, the Draymond Green saga, okay? First off, I want to say Draymond Green, he started talking all this trash to Grant Williams, telling Grant Williams, oh, um, you're a bozo and you wish you were me. No, I don't think Grant Williams wishes he was you, okay? Especially after the stat line that you had in the last game, two, four, and three, where you had six, six fouls. You had more fouls and points and rebounds and assists, okay? Not combined, but in general, you had more fouls than any of those stats. And you're saying to Grant Williams, he want, you, you want to be me. I don't think he does. And no one in Boston wants Grant Williams to be anything like you. Um, as of right now, maybe four or five years ago, we would have loved for Grant Williams to be someone that you were as a player. But right now, everybody's looking at, you know, his lack of focus. Okay, let me preface this by saying, I don't care about the podcast. I don't think the podcast is a problem. I don't think a podcast during the finals is a problem. People find different ways to relax and get themselves prepared for a game. So I don't think that's an issue. Dennis Rodman used to get prepared for a game by going to a a, a club in Vegas and partying till four. Steve Kerr went with him one time. And he still ended up playing. I think the problem is the decline in his offense and consistency over the past three years. The podcast has nothing to do with that. He has struggled immensely. And everybody needs some type of time where they can, you know, break off and do what they want to do. If he wants to do a podcast after his game, it is what it is. That's his way of coping with things. Some people go and they listen to music, but it's the problem that people are having is the fact that, you know, you want the you want people to just sulk in their house and just not do anything. I see people all the time criticizing people. Oh, they lost the game and he decided he was going to go to go hang out with friends. Yeah, he's a human being. He's not a robot. 
And if you want him to talk about Jalen Brown and all these other guys that he's playing against, he doesn't have to on his podcast. Who's to say that once he gets off that podcast, that's just probably an only an hour long when there's 47 hours between their next game. Who's to say that he's not talking with his teammates about what he needs to do on the basketball court? So, again, I don't have a problem with uh, Draymond's podcast. The problem for Golden State Warriors fans and some other fans is his production. That's that's all it is. If you want to look at the podcast as why he's not producing, that has nothing to do with it. He's de- He's steadily declined over the years. And that's what it has to do with, not his podcast. Okay, he finishes it right after the game for an hour, and then there's 47 hours between his next game, sometimes 71 hours, 70 hours. He's fine. And I'm not a Draymond Green fan. Next, I want to talk about how fans are running around saying that Al Horford did a dirty play. These are for the people who have never played basketball before. John Calipari still runs a drill where you have to dive on a loose ball. If you want to win a championship, you have to throw your body on the line. No one talked about anything that Draymond did when Draymond literally grabbed Jason Tatum's shoulder and tried to pull him back. No one said anything about that. But the second that Al Horford does something basketball-like and dies for a loose ball, I see people talking about, oh, well, you know, it might have been a dirty play and this and that and that, and his knee or his ankle, that's the same ankle. He's diving for a loose ball. If there's a loose ball, you are going for it. The same way you go for it in a fumble in football, everybody dives for it, they go after it, is the same way you do it in basketball. That's your ball. If you want that ball, if you want those, that could be a big moment in the game. If you want that, you got to dive on it. And that's what he did. So I don't see it as a dirty play. And most of the Golden State fans are calling it a dirty play. But it's if you've played basketball before, it's a, it's a game-winning play. Next thing I want to discuss is the officiating deal. I hate... I, I, I have, believe me, I have used it before, but when certain things disrupt the flow of the game, and I understand that, but at the same time, when you let that whole flow disrupt everything that you do, then, then you can't, you can't do anything about it. And I've been guilty about it from coaching in a coaching standpoint. I've been guilty where it's, The officiating has affected me so much at times when I'm coaching where it's it's frustrating. But at the end of the day, officials make mistakes the same way that players make mistakes. But what I don't want to hear is that, because I didn't hear it when we won yesterday. I didn't see anything or anybody, or I say we, like I'm a Celtics fan. So let me not say we. I didn't hear anything when the Celtics won yesterday. Nothing about the officiating. No if ands, or buts about the officiating. And the officiating wasn't great yesterday. And it wasn't great both ways. But I didn't hear anything about the officiating. 
What I did hear about the officiating was during game two. Game two, oh, the officials, this and that and that. No, we stunk. I say we again as in the Celtics. The Celtics stunk. They didn't come out aggressive. And that's usually what's been the trend for them after a win. They haven't come out aggressive. I'm hoping that the it's not the same instance in tomorrow's game, but we stunk. We turned over the ball. We had bad turnovers, okay? And and some weren't turnovers, but a, from a coach's standpoint, they could be considered as turnovers. Turnovers that we had were turnovers in transition when we had the numbers going for us. Those were bad turnovers. Turnovers that we had were split two, two people turnovers. Those are bad, right? Live ball turnovers, not where it just goes out of bounds, where we're going up against somebody and we throw a pass behind us that leads to a break or leads to a three-point shot by Steph Curry. That happened a plethora of times in game two, and they capitalized it on it. That's why we lost. One-on-one turnovers, where you go one-on-one and don't get a good shot. Refs had nothing to do with that. That was on the Celtics. Much like yesterday in the game, we saw a little bit of that, and it had nothing to do with the refs either. In the third quarter, we made some bad decisions, some bad turnovers, dribbling, jumping the pass where three people were around us, we couldn't make a pass, led to a live ball turnover, and then led to a three-point shot by Steph Curry on the other end. That had nothing to do with the officials. Same thing goes for Golden State. Golden State, you were very physical in game two. Very physical. I heard no ifs, ands, or buts about the way the game was officiated in game two. So please, please, fans of these teams, stop making the excuse of all the officials that that the the whole game was changed by the officials. The whole tide was changed by the officials. There have been some bad calls in both ends, okay? The flagrant on Steph Curry, that was a bad call. That was a bad call, right? The non-call on Draymond Green when he grabbed Jason Tatum, that was a bad non-call, right? Teams get away with stuff, and if you do it so much, you're going to get away with a lot during the game. Plain and simple. Officials don't win the game. The players do. So you need to stop. Fans need to stop blaming and saying, well, the officials are the reason why the Celtics lost game two. No, the turnovers that they had were the reason why they lost game two. If M.A. Udoka can see it, then I'm hoping that some of you guys can see it too because not once was he the one to blame the officials for why they they they, they lost the game. He said it was turnovers. He said it was turnovers. Plain and simple. Now, my predictions for game four. I have usually been pretty on spot on with these predictions. Uh, I didn't make a prediction for game two, partly because I had a feeling that the Boston Celtics were going to lose. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to go out there just in case they did win. But I have a feeling that 
even though it's going to be, they're going to come out uh, like a ball of fire. Um, the, the Golden State Warriors, I know they're going to want revenge. I have the Celtics winning this game by five points. It's going to be a close game. They're going to play well, but I think the Celtics are going to come out with a, a, a sort of confidence that they've never had before, and this will be the first time that they come off of a win other than the Brooklyn series where they win after they come off of a win. Well, actually, they came off two wins in a row with uh, the Milwaukee Bucks in game six and seven. I feel like they're going to win this fourth game, which is going to be very important. You don't want to go back 2-2 to Golden State. I feel like they're going to win this game tomorrow, and I feel like Jay Tatum is going to put the team a little bit on his back, and Al Horford is going to put in some good numbers tomorrow. Usually we end this. So we usually end this, like I said, um, with players that you should go back and watch. First and foremost, uh, shout out to Rasheed Wallace for getting getting a job as a Lakers assistant. And he is one of the players that you need to watch. Rasheed Wallace was just, he was something special. And if he had really, really focused in on just focus in on being aggressive during basketball. You know, Draymond and, and, and Rashid are a little bit similar in the fact that they are animated. They are not similar game-wise because Rashid Wallace is, I think, 10 times better than Draymond Green. But they're similar in their passion. They have a passion for the game. And I think if you want to this is a duple this is a duplicate a double players to watch Steve Smith is also the other one Steve Smith who played with Rasheed Wallace in Portland if you want to see some of their talent go back and watch the 2000 game 6 Western Conference Finals between the Portland Trailblazers and the Los Angeles Lakers Steve Smith was on a mission and you talk about someone who utilized every part of his game. He knocked down threes. I think he maybe had one or two, but it wasn't a lot. But if you want to see someone expose somebody on the mid-range, attack the basket, he had that that half spin move that he used a couple times. It was it was unbelievable. And this was a closeout game, and they needed to win this game in order to force a game seven. Now, they did end up forcing a game seven, and we all know what happened in game seven, the famous alley-oop from Kobe to Shaq. But in that game, Rasheed Wallace and Steve Smith put the team on their back. So if you go back and watch that game, you will enjoy it. It is a game that I enjoyed watching. Uh, it was it was There was wonderful production from everybody on that team in different, different facets. I mean – Brian Grant played good in that game. Uh, Bonzi Wells was incredible in that game. He had a spin move on Kobe that was unbelievable, uh, I believe. Uh, it might have been that game or game five, but I think it was game six. But Damon Stoudemire was beautiful in that game. Shout out to Damon Stoudemire, coaching the Boston Celtics. But that was a 
game that you should watch for an indication on just how good Rasheed Wallace and Steve Smith were. Steve Smith was a one-time all-star. Rasheed Wallace was about, I think, a four-time all-star. I think he could have been close to a seven-time all-star. Rasheed Wallace was so good. And if you see the defense that he played in that game, very good defense. He's a very underrated defender and doesn't get enough credit. What I saw him do in 2005 defensively versus Tim Duncan, that's probably the best I'd ever seen somebody play Tim Duncan defensively. And he's just he's just really good, really good player. So watch him and Steve Smith in the 2000 Western Conference Finals, Game 6, an incredible game to watch. Portland ends up pulling out the W. I think they win by maybe 10 points. Uh, it might have been a little bit more. But it, it seems to me like it was about 10, and it was just a great game, a great game. So watch it and appreciate guys like Rasheed Wallace, who were so skilled, so fundamentally sound, and Steve Smith, again, so skilled, so fundamentally sound, could do a little bit of everything, could shoot the ball, could handle the ball. Same goes for Rasheed, and his post moves were absolutely incredible. One of my favorite plays of that that game was when he gets a little push from Robert Ory and reaches out and extends his arm and dunks it. And then he, as I said, he's much like Draymond Green animated and punches the air and then yells at the ref to give him a call. That's that, that was one of my favorite plays in the game because I just loved Rasheed Wallace's animation. You, you love it when you're, a, when you're a fan of his Draymond, I don't mind his animation except when I'm not on his team. I can't stand it. I hate it. So, all right. This is another episode of One in a Million. Uh, hopefully you enjoy your nice day out right now. And game five tomorrow at nine o'clock, my prediction, I mean, game four tomorrow at nine o'clock, my prediction, we win by five. Celtics win by five tomorrow. All right. Take care. Don't have to straighten back. Don't want no strings attached. Just scratch this on your back.